everybody. Uh, welcome back to Quirks of Creations. My name is Jess, and as always, joining me is Elise. Hey! Welcome back, everybody! I have a question for everybody. It's a very important question. There's this procedure called a hemispherectomy that is done to basically cut the brain in half and remove half of the brain that is causing seizures. This can be done on very young patients because the plasticity of their brain basically allows it to adapt and continue function. But here's the question. Let's say I took those two halves of your brain and put each half in two separate bodies. Which one is you? I love this question. (laughs) And hate it. Or none are you of you at all? Are you you at all? Are you half of you? Could you control both of those bodies? Ooh, like a chameleon with the eyes. Like a chameleon with the eyes. It's <laughs> yes. This is like the theme of what we are diving into tonight. We are talking about consciousness and dealing with science and the soul. I hope you guys are super excited. I noticed Elise is dressed a little bit differently today. <laughs> I think I I lost a poll on Twitter, so I have to wear a toga. Oh, yeah. Our uh, Hawkhound superfan, the president of our superfan chat, for, uh, base babe Frida, basically coerced Elise into a toga, and I'm here for it. I love it. Pretty much. Since we're getting philosophical, I thought I'd sit in the trees and wear my toga and be ready to learn. <laughs> Yeah, what you need is someone like holding grapes over your head. Oh, so you can just like wonderful. leisurely eat some grapes while we're doing this too. <laughs> that would be nice. Just chew into the microphone. It's like every episode is just a new version of ASMR. I feel like we just get new ideas every time. You're all are welcome. <laughs> I love or it. Not. Before we get started, I I hope you guys are kind of pondering this question that I pose because I'm hoping tonight we get lots and lots of audience participation. We're going to be doing lots of experiments together. And if you guys are listening to this show later, I encourage you to leave us comments, leave us reviews, let us know your thoughts on how these experiments, you know, kind of rang with you, resonated with you and what your thoughts were. So I hope you guys are excited. And don't forget to subscribe to us over on our Locals channel, quirksofcreation.locals.com. We are dropping episode three of Quirks or Quacks tomorrow. So super excited for that. Yeah, some good stuff on there, I think. I think we uh, had some good conversations on that one. I think people will like it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. But yeah, definitely make sure tonight, if you're here live, to give us some of your answers in the chat because it's going to be very interactive i don't know if we'll have any answers (laughs) but we'll definitely have lots of questions right tonight is mostly a night of questions and not many answers but i hope we can have fun just kind of going through the thought process together asking the questions and just kind of considering what the possibilities might be yeah who are we what are we doing here that's right what makes you you all right, so I'm uh, checking out the Rumble chat. I see yeah. Arvolt has already dropped a theory of his own. My theory is that we are both left and right hemispheres, but only one is verbal 
and the other is the silent voice in your head. If you separated them, do you separate your conscious? This is the question. This is the question I have for everybody tonight. Where is the conscience? Where is consciousness stored? All of that sort of stuff. So I love it, Arvel. You are here for it. You're ready. I'm ready for it. So what do you think, Elise, if you put your brain like in those two different bodies? Yeah. I Okay. So I've been thinking about this <laughs> for like a week now since you asked me. I love it. And I like Arvold's answer. But I also, I was like, are you half of yourself? Because are we separating, maybe this is too technical for a theoretical question, but no, if we're separating it. left and right. Right. So are you, that's very similar to what he said, but yeah. are you half of yourself? Are you just, um, or then are you conscious in two different spaces? You know? Um, right. I don't know. I think I would say just, um, I don't know, you're half, you're half. Right. Whatever half you go with, I guess. Maybe you're more logical, so you consciousness sticks there. This is a crazy one. It's a really weird question because normally when this procedure is done, right, the half of the brain that is removed is a dead part of the brain, right? It's right. not going to function anymore. It, it was the part of the brain that was causing seizures in the body of the young child. And yeah. this type of procedure can only be done in young children because their brain has so much plasticity. Their brains are still growing. They're still developing. They haven't developed all the neural pathways yet. So they can still have full function of the mm -hmm. verbal parts, the consciousness parts with only half of their brain. So then it's like, who, who is it if that other half of the brain is still alive? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. If you can split them both and still have function of them both. Right. That's the huge question. That's the question. It is, it is remarkable, side note. Yeah. Children and their ability to, <laughs> to oh heal gosh. that way. I know. That is amazing. And yeah, I guess it doesn't really take away, maybe, I'm not entirely sure, doesn't take away too much of who they are simply because they are still developing. Right. And they don't have half of their brain working somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we'll talk about cases of diminished brain function and its impact on the consciousness and overactive brain function and its impact on the consciousness. But again, here's our first experiment as a group. I want everyone to take a deep breath, shake it out, and I want you to just kind of sit for a second and kind of like test yourself out. What does consciousness feel like to you? Like when you're experiencing you, whatever, whatever you are or is, what is that feeling? I was just giving them a minute to think about yeah. it. Do you have any thoughts, Elise, while we're letting the chat think about it? Yeah, I was thinking about this as well. And I think there's a how I see myself, and it's not necessarily the physical me. It's just mm. um, the voice in my head, maybe, and the my. I'm an emotional person, 
So I identify more with that than I probably should. Uh, So I feel like with my consciousness, it's, uh, I'm going to sound like I have split personalities or something, but there's a, there is me that I see in my mind and then there is the physical me. And so I guess I put into who I want to be the, the characters I'm trying, characteristics I'm trying to develop, the character I'm trying to develop. All of that is into this like idea of a person that is me in my mind, but it's not physical. Does that make sense? It does. It's like there are two yous almost. Mm -hmm. There's the side of you that feels things like you are your body, right? Like I can feel that my hands are touching. I feel the headphones on my head. I feel the glasses resting on my face. But there's also the me that's like looking out of these eyes, almost like like I'm a tiny person controlling a mech. Like I know that's a very anime way to describe that feeling, but that's that's how it feels. Oh, I was thinking about it like uh, a car and a driver. Yeah. So you can drive a car and you can drive it, you know, for 24 hours straight. That doesn't make you a car. The car is the vehicle that's getting you, but you're still in control of it on the outside of the vehicle. All you can really see right. is the vehicle. So... I kind of think of it that way too. This the body is just the vehicle, the husk, and then we're on the inside controlling all the all the things and making the decisions for now until cars are, you know, right. <laughs> driving right. themselves. Until cars are driving themselves. It's only a matter of time, right? All right, right. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. I see Nana C is saying a still small voice. I I can totally relate to that. Um, that mm-hmm. like we were saying, that tiny person that's looking out, that's experiencing everything. Um, let's see. Any other thoughts in the chat? <laughs> she did add a still small voice that just needs to take a hike sometimes. Take that's, a hike sometimes. Yeah, I relate that's true to that too. too. Yes. Relate to that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Here's another. We're, we're going to be doing lots of experiments tonight. I hope you guys are ready. Ready. On the regular, I do not think about breathing. I'm sure you don't think about breathing either. But have you noticed, and I'm probably going to make a, a bunch of people angry when I say this, have you ever <laughs> stop and think about taking a deep breath for a second? It suddenly requires a lot more effort. Yep. Yep. Now I'm very conscious of my breathing. <laughs> <laughs> and also breathing into the microphone too. <sighs> Happy but breathing anyway. into the microphone, <sighs> right? <laughs> this is such a weird phenomenon, right? Because it's like suddenly I have to focus really hard on it. Whereas before, mm-hmm. I didn't really have to think about it at all. Why? Why is it that my brain can do right. those things in the background and just really process everything. And I still have this higher level consciousness that is podcasting, that is reading the chat, that is thinking about what I'm going to say next, but I can still breathe. My heart still beats. Yep. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about it until you really start thinking about it, at least with breathing. (laughs) 
And unfortunately, there are some people who can like really hyper focus on it. And so I'm thinking of things like obsessive compulsive disorder. And so uh, my screen is giving me a weird error for some reason. Oh, no. I can you, see it. Okay, you can see it. Is there a okay. diagram? Yeah, there should be a diagram yep. of a brain. Um, I might have you click through the diagram. So the image, in theory... Are you back? Oh, no. <laughs> I lost her. Hang tight, guys. We're going to take a quick intermission and figure out what is going on with our tech. Uh-oh. Okay, okay, we are good. All right. I know what happened. It, I mean, oh. not a Hawkhound stream if there are not tech issues, obviously. Yeah. But that tells you that we're on to something really interesting that we're right. probably not supposed to be talking about today. Right. Usually, that's how it goes. Yes. Usually, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So back to the OCD brain. Yes. All right. So yeah, here we go. Diagram. We have our normal control brain and our obsessive compulsive disorder brain. Do you notice anything different between these two separate PET or positron emission brain scans? Just like kind of looking at the picture. A bit. So I'm sorry. The top one is normal. Right. The top one is Neuro, to to borrow a leftist word, neurotypical. Right. And then <laughs> the bottom one is a brain of someone who has OCD. Okay. Well, it's lit up heck of a lot more on the bottom. Yeah. So people who have diff- yeah, yeah, people who have OCD are using a lot more of their brain. <laughs> oh, that's so tiring. <laughs> Right? It's a lot. So notice the warmer colors, like the reds and yellows, correspond to regions of the brain with lots of activity. And the blues and the darker colors correspond to regions where you're not using as much brain activity. Um, And so the two most prominent ones are the OFC, the orbital frontal cortex, which is like the area of the brain right above the eyeballs. And you get into like the brainstem, the basal ganglia, all that sort of stuff. And I just want to read you guys this statement from a researcher who's very deep into researching OCD in the brain. And this was a common thing when I was reading research articles about it, how it functions in the brain. And I I think you guys will find this interesting. There are relationships between abnormal activity of the OFC, basal ganglia, and other brain structures and the symptoms of OCD. But this doesn't do us much good in individual cases. It's an important scientific insight, but not a diagnostic test. The fact is that the vast majority of the time, a brain scan in someone with OCD looks completely normal. Hmm. So it's not used to diagnose. No. I mean, it could be if it's showing, but really it's not the normal. Or it's not, doesn't happen enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not common enough to be considered a standard way of diagnosing someone. Mm -hmm. And then so the question becomes, okay, if I can't point to a physical ailment, Right. If I can't say, okay, these neurons are overactive or these yeah. neurons are misfiring, what is it 
inside of you that is having a problem. Right. If you cannot point to anything tangible, where is this coming from? What is the issue? What is the issue? And so then the other question becomes, if there's not actually something physically wrong with you, why would a doctor give you a prescription drug to treat a physical malady that's not there? Right. So, oh, I think that's pretty obvious, but doctors are comfortable with um, prescribing something or or diagnosing something that isn't physical. In nature. In nature. When it, when it suits them. I don't know. No, when it's common, I guess, but that's a whole nother thing. So, but yeah, there's nothing really to point to except for, um, side effects maybe. Right. Something like that. Something like that. It's, and this is true of lots of, I'll say overdiagnosed mental disorders like OCD, like ADHD, like depression and anxiety, they do manifest in the brain. That much is definitely true, but they don't always manifest in the brain. So in the cases in which it is not manifesting as a neural pathway problem, it's not manifesting as a physical malady, what's wrong? We know there's something inside of us that feels wrong, Mm -hmm. but what is that thing? What is driving the wrongness? Why does it feel wrong? Why is it difficult? Where is it coming from? Yeah. I like this question. (laughs) It's weird, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's weird if you think you're just – I'm probably taking away where you're going with this, but – No, go for it's it. It's weird. It's weird if you think of yourself as just like a sack of cells or a, a physical being with nothing else. Right. It's so hard because in science, they want something concrete. Sure. Right? They all sure. – and this th- – we're, we're, let's jump back to Greek philosophy for a second. Like, mm. like we knew we were going to jump to at some oh, point, right? I was right? prepared. She was ready. <laughs> so, so there are two styles of thought about consciousness. And when I say consciousness in Greek philosophy, this was also thought synonymous of the soul, Right. So my soul is the thing that is driving my consciousness or or they're so intensely entwined. They're basically synonyms. And so Plato had this idea of dualism. Him and the Pythagoreans believe that the soul and the body are totally separate, that it's like the little anime guy piloting the mech. Right. There's your physical body and your soul is powering it. But once your physical body dies, the the real you ascends into heaven or whatever you believed, right? Like Mm -hmm. Plato believed in reincarnation. So there's that whole bit there, but (laughs) he believed that there was something more to you that you could experience after this life. 
Yes. Aristotle, on the other hand, believed in hylomorphism. And so he had a very different idea of the soul and consciousness. His idea stems from this idea that there's the matter and then there's the form. Uh, There's the thing that makes up the stuff, like my body is made of atoms, Mm -hmm. and then there's the form that it takes. And he thought of the body and soul in the same way, just like you wouldn't separate the bronze from the bronze statue, you would not separate your soul from your body. Right. Does that? Mm-hmm. All right. But because he believed these things were so intertwined, he believed that anything you did to your body, you did to your soul. Gotcha. They're did inseparable. They're totally inseparable. Mm-hmm. Yep. But because of that nature, if the body dies, he also believes the soul dies. Nah. So all we have is the here and now. Right. According to him. Mm-hmm. From the hylomorphic view. Mm -hmm. So then let's do another experiment, just kind of knowing the Aristotelian idea of consciousness, because obviously this is the idea that science has really grabbed hold of, right? Mm -hmm. That's why my body has to be brought into alignment with how I feel. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Everyone do me a favor. I want you to picture a strawberry. I want you to picture that strawberry very clearly within your mind and give give take a second in the chat. Tell me what that strawberry looks like. If if you're listening later, leave us a comment. Yeah. What, what do you see in your mind? Can you see the strawberry? Is it detailed? What's it look like? Yeah, what does it look like? What does it look like when you for picture? Me, yeah, for me, um, I can see it very clearly, you know, the red and the seeds and the, even the, I don't want to say fuzz, but the, the strawberry <laughs> fuzz, the strawberry fuzz, the green leaves, the um, texture of it. I can see up to, yeah. the, I can see the texture of it too. Yeah. You can see the little dew drops on it. Maybe if it yeah. rained the night before or right. something. Perfect. Perfect little strawberry. Perfect strawberry. <laughs> okay. I see lots of folks in the chat saying, I can see the strawberry. I can see the strawberry. Not for sale. Dropping an actual strawberry in the chat. <laughs> Red with yellow spots and a green hat. There you go. Uh, is there anybody who just kind of sees like a faint outline or like a grayed out image can't necessarily see the color? Or is there anyone who can just see like the word strawberry? I'd be curious to know Mm. if we got anyone in the chat. Because there's a brain condition when people cannot picture objects with their thoughts. That's insane. Right? Yeah. I feel like all I I see in pictures more than... Same. You know, my thoughts are in pictures. (laughs) So I can't imagine not being able to see that or seeing the words. And then... If that is an issue for you, is reading, like, not fun at all? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> I, I was reading up so much on this. This phenomenon is called aphantasia, a being, like, the absence mm-hmm. of fantasia being images or – and it's it's called mind blindness. And so I cannot imagine 
what it would be like. Because I mean, obviously, I'm an avid reader. I, I used to do lit before this. Right. Um, and so to not be able to picture anything in your mind must be very challenging. Absolutely. And this condition was first noticed in the 1800s, but wasn't really studied until this neurologist named Adam Zaman was approached by an elderly patient who suddenly lost the ability to see images. Whoa. Just like. He just went mind blind. He went mind blind. Like kind of soak that in for a second. Huh. <laughs> that would be very hard to take. Because, I mean, going blind in itself would be obviously devastating. But wouldn't you feel a, li- a bit crazy? I would think I would feel crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Oh. I I would feel so distraught, to be perfectly honest. I would be so sad that that happened. And yeah. I mean, the this patient, they don't name the patient, obviously, to protect him. But it had happened after he had had surgery on his heart. And he had a stroke on the operating table mm. in his brain. And that's what they believe caused the mind blindness. Wow. Just it would be like I knew how to do it. I could do it, and now, and now it's gone. Now it's gone. Wow. And so I'm gonna try and show you guys some images tonight. These are two more brain scans, if you'll let me. Well, oh my goodness. Yep, it's not a hawkout night if there aren't massive tech <laughs> issues. Do you see any images, Elise? I I see them. Yep. Okay. There should be one set of images that shows a brain with only a few small dots. Do you see? Yep, that was the one I think before. Okay. That and, is mm-hmm. a high image brain, a brain who can see normal images in the mind. And then you should see one where it's like totally lit up. Okay, maybe the next one. Okay, the next one. Do you want to try and hit it, see if it'll go? Right. Oh, I forgot I could do that. Yeah. Okay. So here's the one, very few dots. And you were saying that was, um, people could see lots of images with this? Right. Like you could see the whole strawberry with that. Right. And And then, then, yep, the next one. Right. Lots of dots. Lots Lots more dots. dots. Mm -hmm. So this is the one where the man cannot see images in his mind. And you can see the brain is trying to work very hard. Mm-hmm. To make it so he can see the images, but it's still not enough to conjure the image in his mind. Right. So are these dots showing like where the neural pathways are kind of broken then? Or it's more like the neural pathways that are activated. Mm-hmm. So before it okay. required very little brain power to picture that mental image. I see. Okay. But after the mind blindness occurred, his brain was having to work twice as hard. Different areas of the brain are lighting yeah. up. It's trying to compensate mm-hmm. for the th- things that it's not doing. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Will any of these work? <laughs> any right. of these plugins work? No. <laughs> no, none of them will work. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of like taking a USB port and it's like, which one will work? None of them will work. And then you realize it's a USB-C. It's like, <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh. Well, never mind. <laughs> yep. 
That didn't work. No, nope, not going to happen. Okay. And I, I just can't imagine. So, and this leads into what I saw someone in the chat mention, is this yeah. similar to not having an internal monologue? Yes and no. So mind blindness is extraordinarily rare, maybe in 7% of people. But, but get this, okay? This idea of not having an internal monologue is actually way more common. If anything, it is more rare to have an internal monologue. If you just like hear your thoughts in your head, if you're thinking, okay, I'm, you know, in my head, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, or mm-hmm. I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for dinner, whatever it is, only 30 to 50% of people have that running internal monologue. That's so insane to me. <laughs> Who do you talk to when you're by yourself? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you would think that that would be just as rare. I know it's not the right. same kind of thing, but I would think that that would be much more common. It's so insanely crazy because I can't fathom how I would live my life without that internal monologue. I can't imagine how I would learn. I can't imagine how I would process these deeper thoughts that I have. And part of me wonders, okay, are these the people who have to like talk to mentally process things? Right. You need to talk out loud. Absolutely. Or the people who have to read out loud because right. they they can't read in their minds. Is that Breaking really down. 50 to 70% of the population? Wow. Wow. Which gives me pause about the actual validity of this statistic. <laughs> you know. Sure. Sure. And it, again, it's something that's really hard to quantify in that, I mean, you can ask people. Right. But with, I don't know. There's a lot of factors to that, I think, too. But, <laughs> you know, do they understand the question? Right. I don't know. I don't know. But still, still, the fact that so many people are saying that they don't, even if those numbers are a little off. Right. It's still a lot of people. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's insane. And I'm just like mentally trying to process it because it makes me think, one, we've been approaching education the wrong way this whole time because I can't imagine being one of these people trying to take a test and have an internal yeah. monologue, like process a question when you literally cannot. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How do they, how do they function? I mean, obviously they're still functioning. So I just wonder how it works for them because obviously a large amount of our population has found a way to compensate for this. Right. But how, how do you do it? Is there anybody out there who can answer this question? Compensate for that. And so then the question becomes, if you don't have an internal monologue, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) right what is the thing that makes you you wow do and is that 
Yeah. Is that a, um, I don't know, is that on the checklist for like a person to to be a rational thinking? Right. I don't know. I don't know. Because again, if they're a real person, they are compensating. I don't know. It's just lots of questions. <laughs> I, we hear all the time, like on Twitter, or the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> that the world is filled with NPCs and people who don't think. But now I'm beginning to wonder how true that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Does it have, in these studies, does it say anything about like a correlation between intelligence also and these people? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I would just, be curious to know yeah. if there is a correlation. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to like fight for, I don't want to believe that they're NPCs. <laughs> I, well, as Christians, we don't <laughs> yeah. want to believe that they're NPCs, no. right? We are all created but. in the image of God. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. And then if we try to take that argument path that a person who doesn't think is, a, is an NPC, isn't a person, mm -hmm. then we're making the same argument that the pro-abortion people are making, oh, you're right? right? Mm -hmm. Because Absolutely. a pre-born baby is still a person, even mm -hmm. though they don't have conscious thought yet. Right. They're still running off of instinct. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, we would believe there is no such thing. But right. it does make you wonder and question. I don't know. I guess we're all unique. Right. There's my fluffy answer for that. We are all unique. <laughs> we have a unique way of processing stuff. Yeah. But then it goes back to that question that Aristotle proposed to us, this idea that the mind and the body are totally inseparable. And it's like, if you cannot see things with your mind, if you don't have an internal monologue, what are you? What is the thing that makes you uniquely you? How can you practice the virtues? Like the, the Greek philosophers talk so often about virtues like courage and wisdom and things like this. But how can you develop any sort of character if you can't process those things out? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Do you have an answer? I don't. Or are you just, I'm just curious if you had any. I, like I said, I'm going to ask lots of questions yeah. tonight. Yeah. And it's not like we're conscious 24 seven. Cause right. I don't know about y'all, but I've definitely gotten in my car. Uh, this is going to sound terrible. I've gotten no. in my car and driven to work, turned on the audiobook, And then I'm suddenly at work and I don't remember the last hour. Yep. What? Been there, done that. Where, where did I go? <laughs> where was yeah. I? <sighs> Not you, you. You were turned off. <laughs> My body was still functioning. I was still driving yeah. the car. I didn't get in a wreck. Never been right. in a wreck. Knock on wood. <laughs> but or like, have you ever like walked downstairs intending to do something, get something, then you get down there and it's like. 
Why did I come down here? Why am I here? <laughs> yes. Often, unfortunately. <laughs> yep. Uh, so if it's, and then, I mean, if you're not conscious all the time, does it go somewhere? Right. Is it just uh, rest mode? <laughs> taking it, taking five. <laughs> if you, like science believes, the Aristotle idea, where where is your consciousness? Where is your soul? Yes. They would say it's in the brain. Mm-hmm. But how can you, like, leave yourself for a second? Exactly. And your brain, I mean, your brain physically never shuts off, obviously. I mean, well, (laughs) yeah, it's not supposed to. (laughs) It's not supposed to. Yeah. But but Hmm. here's the crazy one. Okay. There's this condition. I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Anosognosia. Sounds good to me. Yeah. This is a neurological condition in which someone is completely unaware that they have a psychiatric condition. Basically, a person is in constant unconscious denial of their disability, whatever it may be. This is typically found in people who have Alzheimer's, dementia, schizophrenia, right? Anything where the brain is like severely damaged in some sort of way, things like a stroke or brain lesions often lead to this type of abnormality. So if like, for instance, they lose movement, and their left hand, and their doctor says raise their left hand, and they raise their right. And the doctor's like, I, I said you're left. And they were like, I, oh, I did. Yeah. That's my left hand. Or they try and come up with some sort of excuse. Yes. Yeah. And they, um, it's not that they're lying, but that they are completely believing that they're doing right. what, you know, or that they're totally functioning normally in this uh, in this state well then that's the question right are they lying are they morally culpable for any lies that they tell in relation to this mental state because they can't they physically cannot stop themselves from lying right Right. yeah so are they um should they be held culpable for these things and it's like i for me it's the question of like what is their heart in it? Are they trying to, I don't know. It's a slippery slope because you start making excuses for people and then you have excuses for everything. Right. <laughs> everything. But um, the idea is that these folks are totally unaware of what's going on as far as the disorder. So it's like they're lying but they're not they don't even know they're lying but you also can't double check that either so <laughs> right yeah it's crazy and this is one of the i i hate getting excited about like brain conditions and stuff it's just like fascinating to me yeah how the brain works i don't know if anybody's weird like me it gets excited about how brain functions but yeah. there's this thing called cortical blindness And it's not like your eye, there's something wrong with the lens of your eye. It's the part of your brain that processes visual information is not working. Okay. And so when it's combined with this 
denial aspect, you get a syndrome called Anton Babinski syndrome or ABS. And so they don't know that they are blind. How do, they don't know that they're blind? Right. <laughs> How do you not know? What? Wow. You want to talk about denial. Right. That is hardcore denial. Their brains are backfilling all of the information. It's like when ChatGBT starts making stuff up because it doesn't have anything to work off of. (laughs) Our brains do that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So are they trying to – I mean – I've never heard of this before. So are they trying to walk and do all the all the things because they don't realize they're blind? Right. Yeah, it's like they'll be and, sitting in front of their doctor and their doctor holds up a picture of a dog and he's like, what's that a picture of? And they'll say a pickle and he'll be like, no, that's a dog. And it's like, oh, well, I meant dog. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that what I said? Yeah, that's what I see. It's fine. Everything's fine. So are they t- completely blind or they just aren't processing everything they see Their correctly? brains aren't processing right. what they're seeing correctly at all. Correctly, yeah. Because, again, it's not a problem with yeah. their optical nerve. It's not a problem with the lenses in their eye. It's a problem of the misfiring of the neurons. Right. All in, all in their mind. Yeah, <laughs> like literally, all in their head. Right. <laughs> and so, wow. one of the ways scientists have tried to explain this is through the idea of the consciousness awareness system. They claim that consciousness involves two major functions: the awareness or the content of your consciousness, and arousal, the level of consciousness. So, basically, how much am I thinking? And how intensely am I thinking about something? Mm-hmm. And go ahead. Well, does that go back to like the OCD we were talking about a little yeah. bit that you mentioned earlier? Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah. It's this idea that the forebrain and the brainstem are working in tandem. And if these areas aren't fully functioning, they're blocking consciousness. Okay. So they're... Well, keep going because I, they're, if they're not working together, they're blocking consciousness. Right. So if you're not conscious of something, if you're not conscious yeah. that you're lying, and I mean, these are just things that I found. I'm sure there's more conditions out there where people are not fully conscious of something. I mean, um, there, there's all kinds of conditions we could think of, right? Oh, where there's goodness, yes. something going on in the brain that science, Scientists know nothing about the brain. Let's establish that first and foremost. It's the ocean of our body. (laughs) Right. We know like 10% and the other 90%. Who the heck knows? Who knows? Yeah. But if that is the seed of our consciousness, if that is the seed of our soul, should that not be the most interesting part of us, the part that science is most interested in trying to understand? Absolutely. Getting to the core of everybody. Right. Yeah. If that is indeed what they what it is, what we can do. Right. Mhm. Because they 
they believe the same thing that Aristotle does. If there's something wrong with your consciousness, if there's something different about your brain, that has an impact on the body and vice versa. That's why this is the slippery slope, guys. From Aristotle, we've gotten transgenderism. I'm sorry to say that. I know we love our guy Aristotle, but <laughs> hylomorphism has trended us this way because if there, if my soul yeah. is one thing and my body is another thing, that is going to cause irreparable pain. So if it is true that our body and soul are like matter and form, mm -hmm. then they must be brought into alignment to alleviate discomfort. If here is all that there is, we must maximize the yep. goodness of whatever it is. Absolutely. If uh, What a sad <laughs> way to look at things. I find it a bit depressing to think that this is all there is. And yeah, if you think this is all you've got, you're going to YOLO. <laughs> Pull out that right. old one. <laughs> you're going to try and make the most of it. Right. Yeah. Not, not in the best way either. Like not in the best way. You want to feel the best good all the time. You want to ride that high all the time. That's all you got. Might as well. Right. Take it and go with it. Yeah. And so is he is he right? That's the question I think we have to ask ourselves. Is he right? Do we have any physical evidence that we could point to? Is there something about the human experience that transcends this idea that our body and soul are the same thing, that our body and our consciousness are the same thing? And I think you were talking about or you were looking at the seat of emotions, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, we had talked about that earlier when, when we were discussing this episode and I was saying that I remember hearing the seat of the mo seat of the emotions has changed. And I think for the most part, we think of it now as, you know, the brain is our consciousness. Um, but in biblical times, it was the bowels. Which I can't imagine. I mean, there's always the like, trust your gut. Right. But then you have, you like, trust your gut. And then there's the trust your bowels. bowels. And like, all of you is in your bowels. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the Bible makes plenty of references to, to your mind, to your heart, right. and things like that. But I think, especially in the Old Testament, it was the bowels. I don't even know how to liken that to anything i don't know again i think the closest thing we have now is like trust your gut kind of right and i don't know that they were, maybe they were the same but i don't think so necessarily i don't know you have other others too though um there was this idea that your liver also i'm looking that up too because i want to get into that but where did I have it? Excuse me for just a second. Again, the main thing is the brain, but then there's also the abdomen has been a huge part of it. Like I said, the bowels and the trust your gut, your heart, your head, and the, the liver, it was more like anger. And, you know, you think of like 
bile and when, oh, oh, did we lose Jess? Oh, no. She's like, you know what? I'm out of (laughs) here. Peace out, guys. I'm going to keep going, though. So there is, um, oh, Based Babe just said, like, your root chakra, which is another, you know, kind of new, new agey term for this. If we're something that's more accepted today, known today. So that might have been similar to trusting your gut or your bowels or whatever. Anyway, it's funny to me that it has moved from place to place. I think there was a time when it was also like in the kidneys and things like that. It's very, um, I don't know. It can change. It it moves around. Oh, are you back? I'm back. Yeah. Sorry. The tech issue That's all good. Crazy tonight. I know. They're just coming after you. They're coming after you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just saying, seat of emotions has changed and moved around. Right. And if I think that's just maybe a cultural way that we can understand right. where we are coming from, because it's very hard to think about who you are consciously, subconsciously, all of that, it's hard to think of yourself in a not tangible way. Yeah. You you need to point to something. I think that's just human nature um, that you need to have something to focus on, look at, feel right. even. Like I feel it in my heart or I feel it in my gut or I can, I think it, I think therefore I am. I think you know. therefore I am, right. Exactly. So the seat of emotions to me is very um, interesting, but I don't think it's definitive of our consciousness. I think it just helps us grasp it more. Yeah. As humans, we have this really innate desire, I think, to have a material thing to point towards. Like we want to say the consciousness is in the brain or that our emotions are in our heart or like whatever, you know, Disney always says, follow your heart and all that kind of stuff. But magical. It's all magic. And there's something about us, something about the human experience that transcends that. Absolutely. I think it it definitely points to God in that we don't have anything to necessarily point to, um, but we know He's there. He's all around. I mean, you can you can look at everything and see Him, right? But at the same time, you can't be like that. That right there, that's Him. It's exactly. it's everywhere. It's everything. And it's, so it's it's the same with us with our consciousness. You can, in a very abstract way, talk about it, point it out, show it. But to have something concrete, I think not having that is very difficult. Also, that's like faith there too. Right. So. <laughs> that is faith there too. I mean, so here's the thing I think that really seals it for me anyway. Because... We can kind of look outside of ourselves and reflect upon ourselves. So here's another experiment we're going to do together. When you think back on your memory, do you feel yourself and your memory in that moment looking through your own eyes? Or does it kind of feel like an out-of-body experience, like you're looking through someone else's eyes? Ooh. 
question. And I think it, for me, depends on the memory. (laughs) But for the most part, I'm watching it from the outside. Yeah. I'm kind of that way, too. And it's weird, too, because depending on how old the memory is, I feel like a very distinctly different person. Yes. And is this because there is a part of us that is outside of time and space, a tiny part of you that is connected to the eternal? Yes. I I think so. I know Spencer Clavin talked about this on his podcast, Young Heretics, earlier this week, and refers to this part of the soul, this wisdom, as the watcher or the eagle, a presence of the soul that is higher than materialism. And I can look back on myself and remember sitting on my parents' porch and reading my books in the rain, or I can reflect on hours staying up all night, writing short stories and listening to heavy metal. Actually, I have this very keen memory. I don't know why it's stuck in my brain. I think it's because music helps me connect memories more. I don't know about you. But I have this very strong memory of working through calculus yeah. homework yes, while listening to the Evans Blue song, Cold, I'm Still Here. That's weird, right? Like, who wants to remember doing calculus <laughs> homework? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, music, uh, sounds, and smells, and things like that definitely make those memories that much stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. So are you watching yourself or are you like in it? Yeah. No, I'm watching myself. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, feel like I have a ton of memories that way, but yeah. there are a few and it's mostly from when I was younger. Is it okay. So here's another question. Do you have more memories of your younger self and fewer of your older self? <sighs> I feel like I just, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I just have highlights from like each. Yeah. Each one. <laughs> like highlight, you got the highlight, the highlight reel going. Reel. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to keep this one and this one and this one. And <laughs> no. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the yeah. same way. Some of my older memories stick around a lot better and my mo- more recent memories don't stick as well for some reason. Don't like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I want to remember everything. Come right. On. I would love to have a great memory. <laughs> but then so the question becomes, like that memory that was really clear for me, am I just trying to survive to make it through the class? Like what about it am I holding on to? What is the evolutionary purpose of hanging on to such a memory? Hmm. If we're going to take the pure science route. Right, right. It's not helping you survive. It's not helping you be better or whatever, you know, for survival. I guess that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. So why, why even remember it? Yeah. Like, what is the purpose of having such a memory? And I mean, there's still something very important about our physicalities because we could not reach into those memories and wax poetically about ourselves. If our brains are not again, to borrow the leftist phrase, neurotypical, right? right? If there's something wrong with our brains, our consciousness is not working as well. So 
What is to be said in those instances with the person who does not have that long-reaching memory? For the person who is experiencing dementia, who can't remember anything at all, or who has Alzheimer's or a child with Down syndrome, are we to say that they don't have a soul, that they don't have consciousness? I don't believe so. No. Are they, and is our consciousness limited in our physical bodies? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like once this vehicle's gone. Right. More spirits in the sky. <laughs> right. Uh, but seriously, um, is our consciousness still developing? I mean, who knows? But we are limited in this physical form or folks who have like Alzheimer's dementia. Is it stunting the consciousness in it in that we can't see it as clearly? They can't feel it. We can't see it. Right. It's, again, more weird random questions, but... Yeah, and I know we've asked lots of weird and random questions tonight. And that's because science and philosophy have really messed up, I feel like, when it comes to this question. Because to be perfectly honest, the hylomorphic view is very sort of cruel. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's stunted as well. It's very narrow minded but consciousness is evidence of the soul but it's not the only evidence of the soul and again at some point you're going to have to take something on faith because you either believe that there's an afterlife or there's not so i guess kind of bringing it all together i'm suggesting we have a return back to platonic dualism and that consciousness and the soul while related are not the same Mm -hmm. that are, we are more than our bodies. Our bodies are important, but we are Mm -hmm. still more than that, that there is a part of us that is connected to the eternal. It's like, like you were saying the car example, Uh, there's that spirit in us that, is powered by God that has God's fingerprints all over it. And our bodies are like the engine of the car. It runs off of that spirit. It runs off of that consciousness. Not always good at using the fuel that it's given. Sometimes the transmission goes out. Sometimes the frame Mm -hmm. breaks down. Sometimes the axles are out of alignment. Mm -hmm. But that is independent of the soul itself. Yes. Agreed. And how much more, if our focus as people was on character, the soul, the consciousness, right. if our if our focus was on that, not just for ourselves, but when we saw other people too, yeah. I feel like the world could be much more forgiving and uh, not to make it sound so fluffy happy, but... Um, we. What if we could see each other beyond just the physical, yeah, aspects of ourselves see, and the physical, yeah, yeah. See that others are created in the image of God, just like we're called to do and love each other, right? 
and appreciate that about each other, appreciate that God created all of us in his image and to move kind of past that shallow first right. bit to see that there is more to everybody. There is more to everybody. Mm-hmm. There's more to you and I. There's more to the person who gets on your nerves. There's more to <laughs> the political people you don't like, even if you want to think there's not. Now, that is not to say that the things that we do with our bodies cannot impact our soul. We right. must believe that as Christians because we know sin is real. Mm-hmm. So, again, I... I know it may sound like I'm like talking in circles, but that's because I'm trying to like figure, I have all of these pieces and (laughs) I don't have a picture of the puzzle in front of me and I'm just trying to figure out where they all go. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, well, what were you asking? Because I was, you were onto something and I was too, following you. I'm just like, because if, if we sin in our bodies, if we commit right. adultery, yes. if we yes. try to say that God's uh, creation is out of alignment and we feel the need to change our gender, if we kill the child that is growing in our bodies, that impacts our soul. No it question. It us. Absolutely. It does. Mm-hmm. And that is the miracle of salvation, right? That no, even when our soul is tainted, even when something we've done terrible things, even when we've sinned, Jesus can wash us anew and we yes. can start again. Doesn't mean we should go back and do the things we were doing before. But no. what is the connection between that? Because while our souls cannot fix our bodies, no matter how imperfect our bodies are, our bodies can impact our soul. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Because I guess that... Um they are intertwined for certain while they're still separate. You know, I very much believe like the body is, is its own thing and our consciousness, our soul is another. Right. They do impact each other. I do think our soul can help our bodies. Just not so much in a, I don't know. Not so much in a physical way. Maybe help us feel better. Oh, now I'm getting into all this like mushy stuff. But you know what I'm saying? I do think that they're intertwined. And I do think good soul, it shows. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You do see it physically. You can see it. Not always. And you can't always see a bad one either, which is terrible. But what we do with our bodies, because we are physical and not physical, there is an impact there. And while we are forgiven and our souls are cleansed, it still makes an impact on the consciousness, your character. Right. You can't you can't do, I don't know, unspeakable things and then just walk away from it. Whatever, it's fine, I'm fine, I'm not touched, but there, there's consequences. Yeah. yeah, there are natural consequences for everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard because when someone has a malady of the consciousness, can they be held accountable for decisions like that? 
Right. Right. Like someone who is like clinically a, a sociopath, not saying they're, they lack empathy. I mean, obviously they do, but because it's literally their brains are misfiring, it's not a conscious choice on their part, they would tell you they would have emotions if they could. Yeah. But they're, the engine is not literally working. Cannot. There's something wrong with the transmission, right? Yes. How does that impact that person's soul? <sighs> I wrestle with that one yeah. because you know that there are folks like that. Obviously, we've seen it yeah. and, in, and not just um, psychos or, or even like uh, serial killers or anything like right. that. It doesn't even have to be so, I guess, dramatic. But you definitely know. Um, I know someone, for example, this is different but the same. Yeah. She uh, wrestles with um, autism and a... Um, ADHD as well as, um, I don't want to say bipolar, but it's like a um, they work off personality. Oh, okay. Um, the pers- uh, personality, dis- another personality disorder where it's like borderline. Oh, okay, borderline personality disorder. Yes, yeah. thank you. So there are times, and I've known her for a long time, so there are times where she will do things or she'll make decisions or she will say things and you're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are right. you doing? Why, why would you say that? Why would you do that? What were you thinking? And then, um, but she literally doesn't, she doesn't comprehend. She doesn't, she's like, I don't know. That's, that made sense to me. That doesn't make sense. That wasn't good. Wow. <laughs> like, no. To a more, um, I don't know if I'd call myself a healthy, rational person, but maybe a little bit more so so than her. I don't know. But you see it and and how much I've wrestled, again, because I've known her for so long, wrestle with like, how much do I hold her accountable for? And how much do I say like, well, she just kind of like, I know she just misfires on these things sometimes. Right. When do you let it go? When do you um, hold them accountable? And if you, right. in this situation, if you do, and they still don't understand, right? What good is it doing? I mean, maybe it's still doing some good. I don't want to just totally dismiss it, but you can't because they're a person, and just like yes. you and I would train up our characters through practice, you yes. would hope that they can find ways to navigate that path, even if it's a different path than what you or I would take. Yes. It's just harder for us to relate to because we're not living in those shoes. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. Because no matter what, and I tweeted this earlier this week, there's nothing more isolating than your own mind because (laughs) no one else experiences life the way you do. I am holding my cup and only I am experiencing me holding my cup. Elise is not experiencing me holding my cup. That'd be weird. She's experiencing her <laughs> holding her experiencing cup. experiencing this one, yeah. Right. <laughs> so again, don't really have an answer. And it's not that this, but here's where it gets tricky. Okay. So then you have these things and you can understand and you can see that this is an issue and you can see that they're not firing correctly or whatever. But then you start allowing these things to be okay when they're not, like you were just saying. You still have to hold them accountable because they have to build up their character 
even if it doesn't always make sense, even if it does to them or whatever, you can't just, oh, well, that's how they are and we have to understand it and forgive them because then you have maps, for example. Sorry, that's a huge, totally yeah, like no, you're dramatic, right. but we want to start calling that a, um, a mental disorder. So we can't hold them accountable anymore because that's just how their brains work and that's right. how that's what they're attracted to and that that is what it is. No. And oh, that one makes me mad. But still, no, you're <laughs> I think that's a great example because it's like they cannot help it. Right? If if that is literally mm-hmm. what is going on in their brain, they cannot help it. Does not make right. it morally okay. Does not excuse exactly. behavior and does not mean that they should not get the help that they need. Yes. Same thing with the transgender problem. Because while you have those who are like responding socially, they want it for the social credits. There are people who are genuinely struggling to feel at home in their bodies. Like I know if the transgender thing happened when I was a teenager, I probably would have jumped in on that train because everybody feels uncomfortable in their bodies when they're a teenager. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it is a passing thing. And when you're not helping children, especially at that age, understand it. Right. Yeah. You're going to want, you want, you want out of this. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I didn't want to feel that way then. I was awkward and, and not comfortable in my body either. I was a total tomboy growing up, you know, and, it just was what it was. It was never a thing because I didn't grow yeah. up in this time. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> I was the tomboy who did martial arts and listened to heavy metal. Like I love it. I could not I have it. been more wrong to be the neurotypical girl or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like, yeah. But God uniquely designed me as yes. a woman for a purpose. I haven't figured out what that is yet. Still waiting on him <laughs> to tell me. But but as a Christian, I believe that he did. Yes. Yes. Do you regret not changing no. your body? Do <laughs> <laughs> you regret waiting for your brain to be fully developed so you understood what oh my gosh, you, I am who you so are? Different now than I was when I was 16. Like who we were talking isn't? about. Who isn't? Who, Who isn't? isn't? And so then that's the question. Is my soul more mature? Is my consciousness more mature? Right. There is a connection between the body and the soul. There's a connection yes. between the body and the consciousness. But that is not the only connection. There is yes. more to be known than what we can know, Horatio, or however that goes, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> Yes. I love that quote. I was going to actually write it down so I would have it, and I didn't. <laughs> There's more on heaven and earth than something. I'm bad at yeah. quoting Shakespeare. Me <laughs> too, but I love that one. So I hope oh, you guys yeah. enjoyed listening to us ramble and not yeah. answer any questions. <laughs> yeah. 
We're just leaving you with more questions so you can go sit under what an olive tree and think about these things and ask more questions and debate about it. And right. we didn't really debate though. <laughs> we're bad yeah. at that. <laughs> right. We're too You're we're wrong, too nice. Elise. Yeah. No, Jess, stop. You're not the expert here. <laughs> I'm not the expert. I will tell you that. More I'm so sure. than me. I'm sure there's things I've said tonight that are not fully true, that I don't fully understand, like whatever it may be. If you know something different from what I understand, let me know down in the comments. Let me know your thoughts. I, I'm excited to explore this idea of neuroscience and the connection between the body and the soul because it's so important in today's culture and people are talking about it, but not talking about it. And we're God's beautiful creation. And I feel like out of all of the different creations in the world, it might be interesting to understand who we are. Yes. Who we are, what it means, what we can do with it too. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And ask, and, and asks more questions and then you get to develop your character more and your wisdom. Think. Yes. Your knowledge, your wisdom. Your Sophia, your wisdom, whatever. That's right. <laughs> That's I love right. it. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us tonight. Elise, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we're jumping back into the Old Testament. I promise one of these days I'm going to talk about something from the New Testament, but not Love yet. That. Someday. Not yet. Um, we're actually going to talk about the Canaanites and kind of all the ites. <laughs> that are in the Old Testament and who they were, who cares, <laughs> but there's a lot of connections oh for gosh, us. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I'm not going to lie. I started digging into this and was like, okay, so much more than I expected, but I'm super geeked about it. So we're going to be talking about them. Stick around because I think it's going to take a lot of turns that most people don't expect. <laughs> Literally, guys, we found this diagram earlier today, and I can't wait for you guys to see it next week. Yeah. It is a lot. It's, it's crazy. Lot. It connects it back to like masonry and the Illuminati, and it's like we're probably not going to do the conspiracy side of it, but like... It does connect to things that have been talked about on Conspiracy Pilled, yeah. but it gives us that historical frame and kind of it gives us context for yeah where we came from yeah or where the ideas came from where did we go that song stuck in my head now anyway on that note (laughs) on that note if you are here live stick around because we are going to talk about how consciousness may be coming to ai Mm -hmm. see you guys then (laughs) 